Corinthians chapter 6, and I only anticipate uh, we're going to get through verse 3 today. Um, actually, I have, I have through the first half of 4 in this little passage that I want to relate to you. Um, so I'm going to read this. This is from the English Standard Version, 2 Corinthians 6, 1 through 4, uh, first half. Working together with him, then we appeal to you not to receive the grace of God in vain. For he says, and here's the quote, in a favorable time, I listened to you. And in a day of salvation, I have helped you. Behold, now is the favorable time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. We put no obstacle in anyone's way so that no fault may be found with our ministry. But as servants of God, we commend ourselves in every way. So if you remember, when we concluded with chapter 5, the Apostle Paul said that we need to be ambassadors for Christ, right? We need to look at people differently. We need to stop looking at them in the natural and according to the flesh. <clears throat> we need to regard uh, Christ and others in the, <clears throat> in the Spirit. Um, we need to see ourselves uh, as new creations in Christ, right? For if anyone is in Christ, they're a new creation. The old has passed away. The new has come. That's... Second uh, Corinthians five seventeen, and then he concluded um, chapter five uh, with that statement: um, "He who knew no sin became our sin, that we might become the righteousness of God in Him." So that's what we're looking at when we look at everybody. We're not looking at, you know, black or white. We're not looking at, um, you know, somebody from the East Coast or West Coast, Democrat or Republican. We're looking at people and we're saying they're either in Christ or they're not in Christ, right? And um, we need to realize that we have some incredible news to share. So the Apostle Paul, and he's speaking for himself and the others, says, working together with him, that is, with Christ, we appeal to you, don't receive the grace of God in vain. So let's look at that first phrase, working together with him, we appeal to you. Um the Apostle Paul sees himself and his companions as co-workers uh, through whom God is making his appeal for reconciliation. And that was, again, what he said at the end of chapter 5, right? Um, you know, the, that we're seeking to be reconcilers. We're seeking to bring people into the kingdom. So um, we need to go out and we need to proclaim the good news to people. Do you share the good news with people? Um, if you have something that's happening in your life that's good, it's natural for you to share it. Um, the apostles were told, and they were the ones that witnessed the resurrection, you're going to be my witnesses. Um, you know, After the Holy Spirit has come upon you, you will receive power, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the remotest part of the, the world. And that's uh, Acts 1.8. And in um, Matthew 28, 18 through 20, Jesus said, All power and all authority has been given to me in heaven and earth. Therefore, go into all the world and make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe everything that I have taught you, and I will be with you to the end of the world. Well, interestingly, okay, the only verb in the original Greek in uh, Matthew 28, 19, and 20, where it says, go into all the world and make disciples, is the word for make disciples. The other verbs that are there, go, baptize, 
teach, they're all participles, right? What does that mean? Well, a participle is kind of like an ing word. So you could translate it, going into all the world, make disciples, baptizing them and teaching them. So the key is make disciples. How, how does that apply to you and I here? Um, you don't have to be a missionary or an apostle like they were in order to make disciples because that could also be translated as you go, make disciples, right? So go over to Intrinsic and you meet somebody, you know, what do you do? You just shoot the breeze and talk about the Mavs or, um, you know, do you allow yourself to be used by the Lord to maybe get into uh, some more meaningful conversations and, you know, share the gospel? Sometimes people are not interested, okay? Their response is not your responsibility. You're not, you know, on the job or, you know, at a you know, place of uh, enjoyment to sell something. We're, you know, we're, we're not out there to be door-to-door -door salesmen for Jesus. But you're going to shine your light wherever you go. So we're co-workers as well, okay? Um, we're not out there to sell Jesus. We're not out there to beat people over the head and win them to our opinion, especially in our day and time. And, you know, you guys are very familiar um, there's plenty of people that just don't want to hear it, right? They don't believe what you believe. They think if you're a Christian, you're automatically, you hold opinions that are very different than theirs and very different than the culture right now. And they may even, you know, assume that you're backward or call you names or whatever. Um, but um, we're simply out there to shine the light. And, you know, something I was noticing or have been noticing recently, um, and it's right there on the surface, is that when Jesus healed people, when he cast out demons, they considered that a part of his teaching, right? And it was what drew people to him that they saw he wasn't just talking, he wasn't just spouting his opinions about the, you know, the scripture, but there was power. They, you know, in fact, it, it said on a number of occasions in the Gospels, wow, a new teaching with power. Well, he was demonstrating that what he was teaching was authoritative because he had the power to do what he did, right? So um, I don't know if you remember the story or not, but there is uh, a story about Jesus teaching in a house. It must have been a bigger house, and it was jam-packed with people. And, uh, of course, Jesus had been healing, and he had that reputation. And there were uh, several men that came. I want to say there were three men that came. And they were carrying their friend who couldn't walk. He was on a mat. Well, they couldn't get through the crowd to Jesus. They couldn't get anywhere near him. But these old houses had flat roofs, <laughs> kind of like our flat roof, which leaks all the time. Um, except those flat roofs were, were made of, uh, of mud. So basically, it, they had tile over the top of them. Right. Otherwise, as soon as the water hit, then it would just go through the roof and it wouldn't be a roof anymore. But these guys went up on the roof, took the tiles off, dug through the roof. How would you like to have your house? Right. Jesus is teaching at your house and they start taking a pickaxe and knocking a hole in the roof. Right. Yeah, <laughs> and that's it. They were desperate. And they lowered the guy down. Right. And. Um, you know, Jesus healed him, you know, take up your bed and walk. But in that occasion and in others, Jesus said, your sins are forgiven. Well, this really offended the Pharisees. 
And so Jesus looked around at them and he said, which is easier to say your sins are forgiven or to say rise and walk? Well, of course, they didn't say anything because they couldn't do either one. But he's the son of God. So he said, rise and walk. Your sins are forgiven. Rise and walk. There you go. Now, this is not to say that sin always causes sickness. However, we should be aware that sin can cause us to get sick, right? Bad habits, you know, sin is just falling short of God's glory, right? So we can have all sorts of bad habits. Sometimes the Lord teaches us through our illnesses, right? It's not punishment, it's teaching. There's all sorts of reasons for, you know, the things that happen to us. And, you know, we may, once we come to the Lord and we're crying out to him about whatever our, our infirmity may be, uh, we may become painfully aware of our sin. In fact, we, we should be. If you come to the Lord and you're not aware of your shortcomings, you're not coming before the Lord. Every time anybody came before the Lord, they fell on their face because God is holy and we're not, right? So Isaiah saw the Lord in the temple, said the train of his robe filled the temple, and the, the angels were crying out, holy, 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 right? Uh, is the Lord God Almighty? And Isaiah, you know, was overwhelmed. He said, I, woe is me. I am a man of unclean lips and I live among a people of unclean lips, right? For I've seen the, you know, the, the, the Holy One, the Lord of glory. And so one of the angels came from the altar with a, with a coal and touched Isaiah's lips and said, here, now your unclean lips are clean, right? Your sin has been atoned for. If you come into the presence of God, you become aware of your sin. And that's why Jesus said what he said to this fellow, okay? Why am I bringing all this up uh, in this... Uh, talking about this statement, working together with him. That's what we're doing. We're not out there trying to convince people just, hey, come to church, okay? We're not trying to convince people, uh, you know, about our opinions. We're trying to bring light and life into their lives. So that means you and I need to have the kind of relationship with God that, you know, is empowering. The Holy Spirit brings power. Again, I quoted it earlier, Acts 1.8, uh, you know, um, and, you know, after you've received the Holy Spirit, you will receive power, okay? So, yeah, that's power or strength to live our own lives, but that's power in the lives of others as well. Um, so each time I, you know, talk to somebody or visit somebody that is ill, I want to be confident and positive and praying for them, right? I don't want, you know, sometimes... And this is not necessarily just people that are ill, by the way, because we have a lot of folks that are ill, and that's on my mind right now. That's why I keep mentioning this. But <clears throat> sometimes it seems to me that people don't really want prayer. They want commiseration. Do you know what I mean by that? They want you to attend their pity party. It doesn't help you, right? Maybe that makes you feel good for the moment because there's somebody there that's suffering with you. But why should we all suffer? Why not? come in and be positive and not a, you know, just a um, Pollyanna positivity. Oh, well, you know, everything's going to be just fine. Okay, but maybe it's not going to be fine. But in Christ, you know, with the power of the Holy Spirit, yeah, it is all going to be fine because all things work together for the good of those that love God and are called according to his purpose. All right? Right? So, you know, we've got one lady that is sick right now. That's going to work together for her good and God's glory. 
Right. If she loves God, chooses to you know love the Lord and pursue His purpose. We've got a young man that you know just got out of you know surgery and has been going through a lot of things. All that works together for His good and God's glory. And you know, we've got another lady that had a stroke. Um, all that's going to work together for her good and God's glory. I I am firm about that faith, and I want to share that with people. Um, so um, if you know, you're ill and you want prayer and you want that to mean something, then just receive that. Because when we're sick, it's hard to have faith, isn't it? It's hard to be positive. It's hard to believe that you're going to be well when you keep crying out to the Lord and you're still sick. So that's why you and I, when we're well, need to be in the business of in encouragement, right? And praying for people. Yes, yeah, so, you know, we understand. And, you know, I want to say that, you know, uh, I understand how difficult this is and how you feel and so forth. But I, I want to lift them up. I don't want them to drag me down. They need me to lift them up, right? We don't need a whole room full of people that are all sick and moaning. We need those of us that are well and have faith to pray for those that are suffering, right? I, I mean, I do this all the time. When I get sick, man, it's one of the things I use Facebook for is, you know, hey, pray for me. Uh, you know, and then you got all those people hitting you back and saying they're praying. And it's, it's good to know that there's people that are praying for you. So, you know, hence we talked about those that we're praying for earlier today. All right. So he says, we're working together with God. Then he says, we appeal to you not to receive the grace of God in vain. Uh, that was my title for this session tonight or this lesson tonight. Um, the word vain there in English is uh, the Greek word kenos. It means empty, okay? Um, <clears throat> don't make empty the word of God, the grace of God, okay? Um, Paul uses the verb form of this same word in Philippians 2 when he states that Jesus left heaven and emptied himself to become a servant and to become a man, right? He emptied himself and took the form of a servant being made in the likeness of men, he says in Philippians chapter 2. And that's really, sometimes that, those verses in Philippians 2, beginning with verse 6 and going through verse 11, uh, it's called the kenotic passage. Kenotic. Well, that comes from this word, kenos, the emptying. Jesus chose to empty himself. Well, see, in order to receive God's grace, we need to empty ourselves. You, we, I need to be empty of me. I can't be full of myself. Right? That was a phrase that I used to hear people say on occasion. Uh, oh, you're just full of yourself. You ever heard somebody say that? Okay. Uh, I, I see it all the time in the gym. This is why I, I choose to leave my glasses in my locker when I work out. Okay. First of all, I'm not <clears throat> constantly tempted. Right. But secondly, I'm less judgmental <laughs> because I'm telling you, man, there are some people that are full of themselves. Watch themselves in the mirror, right? That's one thing. Mirrors are there so you can watch your form and make sure you're doing it right. It's one thing to just make sure you're doing it right. And I think these people are like, I'm like, dude, we're full on narcissists here. Uh, you know, I'm thinking, you know, they're falling in love. They're going to run over there and just, you know, make out with themselves in the mirror right there. Well, the thing is, when you're full of yourself, then you don't, you don't need any grace, Right? When we receive grace, it's not, we're not just adding that to, to ourselves, okay? Otherwise, we're 
abusing God's grace. That could be a way of looking at this. Um, so what I need to do is I need to, because Jesus said, if you're going to be his disciple, you've got to deny yourself, take up your cross daily and follow him, right? Um, <clears throat> that's uh, Luke 9.23. Well, self-denial or denial of self is another way of saying self-emptying. If I empty myself of me, then I can be filled with the Spirit. I can be filled with the Lord, and that is by His grace, okay? So being filled with God's grace and being filled with self are mutually exclusive. If I'm full of myself, I won't walk humbly and rely on God's grace. I don't think I need grace. I think I've earned it. I'm going to heaven because I'm doing all this work for the Lord, okay? Well, no, then I'm abusing God's grace. I'm taking, partaking of God's grace in vain. I need to walk humbly and rely on his grace. If I follow Jesus' example and I empty myself to become a servant of the Lord, then I'll require God's grace to live day by day. All right? So all of these things, uh, you know, and I shared this with a, a member here uh, just a moment ago, uh, where Jesus, one of his blesseds, one of his beatitudes was, blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Well, all the blesseds are... are, are um, they're, they're, they're counter to what we would expect, okay? They're contrary to what we would expect. Mourning, that's sadness. That's crying. That's not a blessing, okay? You know, uh, blessed are the poor, or blessed are the poor in spirit. It's not a blessing to be poor, right? You can't pay your bills. Well, wait a minute. Why did Jesus say that then? Because he's not speaking in the natural, right? The assumption behind all of this is that you're following him and he is going to bring about the blessing. You're going to give up the worldly things and you're going to look after the things of God. So when I mourn, the Holy Spirit comforts me. When I'm poor, um, you know, in fact, uh, Matthew's translation or Matthew's version um, says, blessed are the poor in spirit. Well, that's another way of saying that, you know, I don't have any resources within me to do anything, okay? Um, yeah, I'm blessed when I am like that because then I don't have anything getting in between me and God. I don't have pride. Somebody who's poor in spirit, right, is automatically somebody who is not proud, okay? When I'm when I'm strong in my own spirit, that's another way of, you know, kind of like saying self, right? Full of self, once again, full of myself. But when I'm poor in spirit, there's a natural humility that's there, and that allows me to see that I do need God, and I'm going to rely on God. So there you have, uh, you know, why that, uh, why that grace is uh, sort of an automatic for those of us um, who uh, have emptied ourselves of self. So we're either going to empty God's grace of its power or empty ourselves and receive God's grace and power. God's grace should have an impact on me or I'm not allowing it to perform its work in my heart. Now, faith is the bridge that grace travels on. If I believe in Christ and what he's accomplished on the cross, then I'll surrender my life, receive the Holy Spirit, and be transformed inside out primary among the areas of transformation in my life will be my relationships, right? Now, I want to kind of look at what Paul is doing right here in this passage in relation to the entirety of 2 Corinthians. Um, as we observed previously in the, this letter of 2 Corinthians, it is an apologetic for the Apostle Paul's ministry and message to the people of Corinth. 
So we're right now we're in chapter six, verse one, and we're approaching the end of an extended theological appeal that began in chapter two, verse 14, which was many weeks ago for us in this study. And we're going to conclude with this theological appeal in chapter seven, verse four. So in one, one chapter from now, right? The beginning of the next chapter is Dr. Ralph Martin summarizes in the word biblical commentary, quote, the plea is a renewed call to them. That is the apostle Paul's call to the Corinthians to leave their hostile dispositions and suspicions of both his message and his ministry and accept his proffered reconciliation. So this is why I've called this whole study in second Corinthians, God's dysfunctional people, right? Because Corinth was just a troubled and troubling church. As we've mentioned before, the Apostle Paul wrote no fewer than four letters to them and made no fewer than three, perhaps four visits to them, trying to bring them back and get them on the right path again. There were all of these problems. What I want to observe uh, in what the Apostle Paul has uh, stated here um, earlier, we appeal to you, right? Uh, We are working together then in this appeal to you, is that there's a connection between the message and the messenger. This is why Paul is making this appeal. He's the messenger, right? These false teachers have come in and they've tried to usurp Paul as a leader. And by doing that, they cause the Corinthians to dismiss his message. Now, ideally, we receive the truth. We pay attention and we realize that, you know, in the Old Testament, Balaam's donkey spoke the message, right? So, you know, even a donkey can speak the word of God if the Lord chooses to do that. And there are plenty of situations where ministers have um, have fallen, okay? They failed. Um, Financial misconduct, sexual misconduct, whatever. What does that do to those who have received their message, okay? Uh, I'm not trying to pick on somebody, and I usually don't like to bring names up, but I I know two names here, and so I want to bring these up. Um, uh, Bill Hybels was a pastor of a very influential church um, in the Chicago suburbs, I believe. Um, Yes, I know it is, the Chicago suburbs. Um, And uh, it was called, I think it was called Willow Creek. It's still there. And, um, you know, he wrote books and seminars and all this other things. But one of his most famous converts, if you will, is Lee Strobel. Now, you probably don't know Bill Hybels, but you've probably heard, at least in our church, of Lee Strobel. Well, Bill Hybels was a, you know, a young preacher and he was preaching a very relational uh, gospel, trying to help people to understand what really I understood when I came to know Christ. And that is, um, you know, that no matter what, I need Jesus and I come just as I am, right? Well, I, you know, at the time, uh, Lee Strobel in his testimony uh, says he was, a, he was a very, very strong atheist. Um, he, was, uh, he was the editor of the, the crime section of the Chicago Tribune. That is, Lee Strobel was. And his wife became a believer. She started going to this church. Well, it was Bill Hybels that was the pastor, so she convinced Lee to go to church with her, right? And he's like, oh, yeah, okay, so I'm going to go, but I'm going to prove that this is wrong, okay? And then, you know, he went, and it was very relational, and it wasn't all religious and stodgy and legalistic and, you know, weird and superstitious like he had thought it was going to be, but he didn't, be, you know, become a Christian at that point. 
Okay. Now this is his testimony that I'm relating to you and he's related on a number of occasions. So he went on a two year journey that is Lee Strobel did of researching the gospel and researching Jesus, just like he would do uh, with any of his stories in the Chicago Tribune. And he came to the conclusion that Jesus is the real deal and he gave his life to Jesus. Well, that all started out with the gospel being preached by Bill Hybels and Bill Hybels was the pastor that he was first under. Well, Bill Hybels about five or so years ago uh, got into some, uh, some difficulties. Some, uh, he, he had a moral failure and I can't even remember what it was. I want to say it was, you know, like a woman or something like that. Uh, you know, it's just typically this, okay. Uh, even it doesn't matter if it's preachers or policemen or priests or, you know, teachers, sometimes you can get into a position of power and you abuse that power. Right. And so, you know, Hybels is married and all this other stuff. And I think he had an affair or whatever it was. Um, but imagine what that could have done to Lee Strobel's faith if he hadn't firmly established the, the facts of the gospel apart from the messenger. But see, the reality is the message and the messenger are often integrally connected. So if you can discredit the messenger, then you discredit the message. It shouldn't be that way, but it is that way. This is the way we see people arguing today, okay? So argument should be healthy debate. Present facts, present evidence, right? Allow people to draw conclusions. That's not what we find. What happens is one side or the other, this is typically in political situations, but it can be in other situations as well. One side or the other just disparages the character, the personality, the background and whatever of the other person or the other side. How many times in these uh, political debates and discussions have you heard one side or the other call the people who believe whatever morons, idiots, right? You haven't presented any evidence there, right? And you really haven't addressed the case at all. However, the message and the messenger are integrally connected and in people's minds. So if you can knock the legs out from under the messenger, then you presumably have discredited the message, all right? Um, so there is this connection. So long as the messenger affirms that Jesus Christ is God, come in the flesh, risen from the dead, and preaches and teaches the Bible, <clears throat> and not his own or her own novel or peculiar or idiosyncratic ideas, then the message should not be repudiated due to the failure of one of its messengers. Okay, you know, I can, I can give you a list right now of preachers who have preached the gospel and it has been credible, right? Sometimes incredible the way that they, you know, held, the, but they failed morally in one way or the other. Does that just wipe out their entire ministry? Should they never be listened to again? Well, ideally, and in most of these cases, they do, they repent, right? But <clears throat> the people that have been harmed oftentimes don't want to forgive them and <clears throat> people have a more difficult time trusting them. Uh, I'll mention someone else. This is not someone whose ministry I am particularly fond of, but Jimmy Swaggart is a good example of this. He had a very visible moral failing. Uh, I think it was like, what, early 90s, late 80s, somewhere around there, where um, he was he was caught with a prostitute and he has this, you know, this incredible teary-eyed, forgive me and so forth. But he had this huge ministry, huge television, all this other ministry. Six months later, he's caught with another prostitute, okay? 
but he has a ministry still. He's still on television. Uh, I don't. I can't even remember. Is he? He's got his own TV station, church, and all this other stuff. You know, and he preaches the cross, the cross, the cross, the cross. And uh, you know, that's the only way any of us getting into heaven. So you know, ideally, he finally did repent and overcame those tendencies, proclivities, whatever. Um, but the reality is, all all you have to do right now, I will guarantee you, if you type into a search engine, Bill Hybels or Jimmy Swaggart, you're going to get all the dirt first. Just the way it works, right? But see, the message of the cross is still legitimate regardless of Jimmy Swaggart's moral failings, okay? Jesus Christ is still the Son of God. The gospel is, you know, just as I am without one plea, which is essentially the type of ministry Hybels was, you know, was leading, regardless of these men's moral failings. But just watch what happens, okay? Or maybe something has happened to you. I don't know. Okay, where you know there was there was some minister and and they failed in your life and it's caused you to you know to doubt or or you know it has discredited uh, the word that they preached. We should be able to separate those two. Okay, some will reject the messenger. However, goes the other way: messenger and message connected. Some will reject the messenger because they've chosen to reject the message. Now, as a preacher, I've seen this often. You people come to this church and, man, they, they love being here, but then doubts start coming into their minds. And it's usually because of all of the drama going on in our world, right? Or it could be personal drama in their own lives. And so then they start, you know, their attitude toward me cools. And I'm like, did I do something wrong here? Okay. Um, again, there's this connection between the messenger and the message, and we have a difficult time separating those, right? Um, you know, uh, people stop attending church oftentimes because, uh, you know, they start drawing away from the message. I remember uh, a young lady that was coming some years ago um, when uh, the... It's when the Obergefell decision came through in the Supreme Court, the, the, the gay marriage decision. And I was trying to make the case very strongly at the time without being judgmental or hateful that God's plan for marriage is, has always been one man, one woman for life. And just because the Supreme Court says something doesn't mean the supreme being who designed human sexuality and marriage uh, has suddenly changed his mind. Well, this young lady just didn't want to hear that. And this is not a terrible person by any means. And she just didn't want to hear that. She just distanced herself from me and then distanced herself from the church. And, uh, you know, it's unfortunate. This is, you know, a very, very kind person. Many times um, people who want to move away from classic Christianity, biblical Christianity, are doing so because of sexual morality. That doesn't mean that they're doing anything necessarily sexually immoral by the biblical standard, but they have become sympathetic to those who are in the so-called LGBT community. Well, as I've said before, without being judgmental, all of those lifestyle choices, LGBT, are in opposition to what God has designed, okay? Life well. We're here to show the light and live our lives well. And you're not going to live your life well by living it in accordance with some other doctrine or ideal other than the way God has designed things, okay? 
But again, there's a connection between the messenger and the message. So there are people that don't want to have anything to do with people like me because I hold to a biblical form of morality. However, I mean, I've mentioned this before, and I'm sure I've lost all my reward from the Lord as the result of this, but I want you to understand um, Christmas, oh, when was this? Probably three, maybe four years ago. Um, there's a there's a young man, <clears throat> a, a transgender woman, we would say in our vernacular today, but he's a young man who dresses like a woman. Um, his name is Jesse. He's come here before. Um, and uh, he's obviously... This isn't the, the LGBT side of things. He's obviously got some um, some challenges, right? Some emotional, mental challenges. And I've always tried to be kind to Jesse. Um, Christmas, about four years ago, he didn't have anywhere to go. So, uh, you know, I took him out to lunch Christmas Day. It was hard to find someplace, by the way, to eat <laughs> on Christmas Day. Nothing's open, right? And we just had a nice conversation. And every time he's come here, he's been welcomed. But you know, I'm not going to, you know, call him a woman. I'm not going to, you know, change the biblical opinion. What that does, because there is an integral connection between the messenger and the message, is that causes people who have sympathy for those that are going through gender dysphoria to not want to be a part of our community, right? Now, I'm using myself as an example, okay, but, you know, we're looking at the Apostle Paul as, as the example here and his relationship with the Corinthian church, how uh, I've said it this way before. If Satan, Jesus said, the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. The thief in this case is, is Satan, the devil, right? But I have come to give you a rich and fulfilling life, a rich and satisfying life, or, or a more abundant life, okay? If Satan can't kill you, he will assassinate your character. You see? And if he can run you down and run your character down, then people don't want to have anything to do with you. They don't want to, they want to hear from you, okay? What we need to do is to continue to love people and continue to shine the light and realize, and I do realize this, that oftentimes people don't want to have anything to do with me, not because I've done anything wrong or hurt them. It's just they, do, they don't agree anymore, and they don't, they don't want to hear it, all right? Um, we need to understand something, though. When you have received Christ and you've received the gospel, then that message is integral to you, okay? You and I should be able to separate the message from the messenger when the messenger fails, but we should never separate the message from ourselves, amen? So, you know, I try to have positive relationships, healthy relationships to people who have left our church or who don't want to be around me anymore because of, you know, holding biblical opinions, but I never judge them. I don't keep bringing things up. I don't try to, um, you know, pound, pound, pound and win some argument or anything like that. I just try to be nice to them and love them. Okay. Just as I am, that's how Jesus accepts me. So he accepts you. That's how we accept them. But I'm not going to, I'm not going to alter, uh, my opinion, uh, and I'm not going to change my relationship with the gospel, uh, for them or for that. Okay, so until each member of the Corinthian church community returned completely to the gospel that Paul preached, then they were going to continue to reject the apostle. That's why we have this extended from chapter 2, uh, verse 17, all the way through 7, verse 4, this extended theological appeal. He wants to get their hearts and their minds back on track. 
Once they understand, no, this is the message. This is the truth. The truth is true regardless of who says it. Then they're going to say, oh, and the person that introduced that to us is this man. And so they're going to accept Paul again. Right? Um, all of this, by the way, uh, talking about those that, you know, that fall away because of their opinions, uh, cultural opinions, political opinions, and so forth. It reminds me of Jesus' parable of the soils. And this, is, uh, this parable is related in the Synoptic Gospels. Um, I'm going to read from Matthew's Gospel because it's extensively uh, related there. Jesus tells the parable, and then he goes inside and he interprets the parable for uh, his disciples. But um, what I want you to hear is that in the parable of the soils, it talks about a sower, you know, or a farmer, we would say, going out to sow seeds or plant seeds, okay? The seed is God's word, and it's planted in the soil of people's hearts. So here's the, here's the parable interpreted. This is from Matthew 13, 18 through 23, and I'm going to read the New International Version. Listen then to what the parable of the sower means. When anyone hears the message about the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what was sown in their heart. So he said the sower sows his seed and some of it falls on the path and the birds come and they eat the seed, right? So that path, right, is, is not paved, it's, it's dirt, but the path that's going around the field is, has been walked on, you know, uh, horses or, or, you know, whatever animal that they rode, uh, donkeys, whatnot, um, the oxen that they used to plow the field. Walk, walk, walk on that path, okay? It's hard packed, okay? It's packed down. Right out here, um, they're redoing our, our intersection here. Uh, all of this, by the way, all the way to here is going to be out until February, but this intersection might be done first before they take out the rest of the road. But what I've noticed is that they will put fill dirt in there, and then they will run over it with, you know, these heavy wheeled machines. Okay. There's probably a name for them, but I think, um, um, they, they've got, they've got big wide metal wheels and they're extremely heavy and they roll over that dirt and they push it down. And then after they've done that with a big one, I've noticed there's a guy out there and he has a little one and he, he has a remote and it packs it down. So they've got to get all that just hard packed down so you'll have a smooth road. Well, you know, try to plant seed on that. I'm talking before they put concrete on it. The seed's not going anywhere, right? This is people with hard hearts, right? And there's every distraction in the world. Watch on any Sunday at church how many people are going to get up and walk this way, right? You know, I mean... It doesn't matter. Drama can be good, you know, going on up here. You know, we can be lighting the Advent candle and somebody's just going to get up and they're just going to wander and, you know. So it's, we're very distractible anyway, okay? But this is the devil taking the seed away from the heart, okay? Um, then he says, the seed sown along, that's the seed sown along the path. The seed falling on rocky ground. So he said that, you know, the sower sows the seed and some of it falls on rocky ground. And he said that it springs up immediately, but then when the sun comes out then and gets, it gets a little hot, then it withers. 
He said, the seed falling on rocky ground refers to someone who hears the word and at once receives it with joy. But since they have no root, they last only a short time. When trouble or persecution comes because of the word, they quickly fall away, right? So, well, man, I thought, you know, Jesus was going to make my life better. Well, he, he does make your life better. But that doesn't mean that all of the externals are going to always line up. But, you know, especially, again, you know, in our culture, if you hold to biblical values, then you may endure some persecution. Um, so what are you going to do? Are you going to fall away? All right. That would indicate that this has not taken root, right? It's hit, it's hit rocks beneath the surface of the soil. It refers to someone who hears the word at once and receives it with joy, but since they have no root, they last only a short time. When trouble or persecution comes because of the word, they quickly fall away. Then uh, there was seed that fell among the weeds, all right? The seed falling among the thorns refers to someone who hears the word, but the worries of this life and the deceitfulness of wealth choke the word, making it unfruitful, okay? So this is when you... When you have your, uh, your friends and you maintain those relationships with your friends and they don't believe and they don't want to hear it and they don't want to hear you and you really consider their opinion too valuable to hold to a biblical opinion, okay? Or worries. You know, when I, when I financial worries, this is a good example, okay? Um, I've got financial problems and I've tried to ask the Lord if he will you know, help me. And it just doesn't seem to be coming through like I had hoped it would. And so then I fall away. So there are all of these, these things around me that are choking out the word. Once again, this is a problem with the heart of the person receiving it. What I've got to do, no matter what, is I've got to keep trusting the Lord through the worries, through the woes, through the troubles. Okay. Uh, then he says, the seed falling on good soil refers to someone who hears the word and understands it. This is the one who produces a crop yielding 160 or 30 times what was sown. So we're always going to try to restore those who have fallen away. We're going to you know, have a loving relationship with them, but I'm not going to divorce myself of the message in order to maintain a relationship outside the fold. Okay, We're going to talk about... Um, the, the witness or the testimony of the shepherds in the sermon this Sunday. Um, that's the third Advent candle, um, the, the joy candle, and the, the testimony of the shepherds. And one of the things that, uh, that I look at here is that we're the sheep, and sheep are easily distracted, okay? And if we don't stay in the flock, if we don't stay in the fold, if we wander off, that's when predators get us, all right? So church is not just a building that people come and sit in, right? It's not just an extended family out there watching online or, you know, listening to the podcast. Um, it is a group of people who have covenanted together to support one another, to gather around the Word, to worship together, and we hold each other accountable and we encourage each other. That's what we're here to do. Um, unfortunately, um, in the wake of the pandemic, uh, many people don't consider church to be essential. And there are plenty of churches that are having a hard time, even a couple of years after the harshness of the pandemic, to, you know, to come back um, from that. But we really do need each other. 
And we really do need the protection of uh, the flock around us, okay? Um, you were never meant to do this on your own. We need to support one another. All right, and then in conclusion, he says, in a favorable time, I listened to you, and in a day of salvation, I have helped you. He's quoting uh, the scripture there. And then he says, the apostle says, behold, now is the favorable time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. So that is a quote, as I said, from uh, the scripture. It's from Isaiah 49, 8. Um, and it is one of the so-called servant passages, which may refer to Messiah at times, at other times they refer to Israel. The original context for this quote, okay, um, that in a favorable time I listened and in a day of salvation I helped you, uh, was Israel's captivity by her enemies. God would forgive and rescue her. God would send a rescuer who would reestablish Israel in the land of promise and be ruler over the nations. Well, Christ is the fulfillment of that promise. And those of us who have believed have now become part of the Israel of God. That's what uh, the Apostle Paul says in Galatians 6.16. And there are many other uh, places in the scripture where the Apostle Paul says that we've been brought into the fold of Israel to God's people. The favorable time or the day of salvation is an extended jubilee year. Um, Jesus said he came to establish or inaugurate that year of jubilee. Now, the year is not just... 365 days, it's a period of time. In the Old Testament, the Jubilee was supposed to occur every 50 years, the Jubilee year. In the 50th year, they had a Jubilee year. And that's when all the debts were forgiven. If you had mortgaged a piece of your property, your, your ancestral property, um, in order to pay your debts and so forth, then you got that back. Um, in Israel, everybody had land. And nobody was ever supposed to permanently lose their land. If they got into financial trouble and they had to sell a piece of their property off, the Jubilee year hit and they got it back. In fact, uh, Moses instructs them that when you mortgage off the property, you have to calculate how many years there are until the Jubilee year. And you're going to get less money if the person who's receiving the property is going to have it for less time because they're going to use the property. Um, they're not just going to say, hey, I own, you know, Yellowstone, you know, the, the show that's on, right? Um, whatever the family is called. I've watched a few of those episodes. Actually, I've, I've, I don't even know if I've ever watched a, a full episode of Yellowstone. I've just seen a bunch of highlights on YouTube of Yellowstone. But it's, the, oh, I remember their name, the Duttons, right? It's the Dutton Ranch. And they have like a bajillion acres, you know. What's the point in that, right? In Israel, every uh, family had property, that acreage. And you know, that's where they raised their animals and that's where they grew their crops and so forth. Well, in the Jubilee year, they get it all back, okay? Um, so this is a, a period of time when all everything is forgiven. So um, the symbolism should be obvious to all of us. Christ came to forgive our sin debt, right? He came to release us from this obligation that we have. The soul that sins, it will die. The wages of sin is death. And Christ's jubilee is established as the result of that, and it is made available to everyone because of his death and resurrection. By his death, our sins are forgiven, right? And through his resurrection, eternal life is assured. Um, Romans 4.25 says, He was delivered over to death for our sins and was raised to life for our justification. So because of Jesus 
God's people have been living in this period of jubilee, this age of grace for over 2,000 years. It's the year of God's favor. It's the day of salvation. That's where we're at right now. Now's the time to take God at his word, friends. Um, we need to receive the gift of eternal life while it is being offered to us. Receive the gift of grace or God's grace gift while it is still available. Don't take it in vain. Don't overlook it. Um, one day, though, it's going to be too late to receive that offer. Okay, Jesus is coming back. And when he returns, he's going to return as the judge. Or you're going to pass away. All of us are going to pass away or we're going to be transitioned into another life and we're going to stand before the judge. Did you take God's grace? Did you receive God's grace? Did you receive his offer of forgiveness? Did you enter into this, this place of favor with God? Or are you still full of self and trying to do it yourself? All right. What we need to do, all of us, is trust God and repent while we have the time while you still have the capacity to believe. Amen? All right. And it's 8.01, so that's pretty good. Those of you online, thank you for joining us. And thank you all for...